está ocurriendo en la Tierra, por el amor de Dios? What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? A small magnet with those words on a church organ caught my eyes years ago when I was a boy. The words written on it have stayed with me ever since. It wasn't just a humorous play on words, but it's a lingering question that should motivate all of us to expect great things from God while attempting great things for God. I'm your host, Phil, an ordinary guy living with his family in South Africa. One of my heroes is Barnabas, an ordinary guy from Cyprus, the son of encouragement, as he was called. My family and I love the work we do here in South Africa and to the people God led us to love and learn from. And my desire through this podcast is simply to encourage others laboring around the world reaching people I cannot reach with creative methods or unusual skills far different than mine. To simply reach out in a casual way through conversations, highlighting their efforts and lives to you who listen in so you might learn more about the work going on for God in so many different and unusual ways. It might be educational, entertaining, or even edgy, but it is all for the glory of God. What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Let's find out the answer to that question with our guest today. Well, it seems like into the answer to the question, what on earth is going on for heaven's sake? I will say quite a lot with my next guest. Um, I'm so delighted to be able to interview Jonathan Hayes. John's joining me this morning from um, Niger, an hour behind where I am in Africa on the continent and about 11 or 12 countries away. Um, but John, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Yeah, Phil, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's an honor just to be able to share about the work and the hopefully encourage people by what the Lord is doing over here. We're um, co-laborers in an organization called Arosh, um, is a is a multinational entity that seeks to bring the gospel of Christ to a number of places. And it was my privilege uh, about three or four years ago to actually go up into West Africa. God made a, a way financially for me to go and, and attend the unveiling or the unwrapping of a brand new ministry building we're going to be talking about in just a few moments. Um, but it was amazing to see a group of mission partners um, with a number of different skill sets and of diversity of personalities and backgrounds, all laboring faithfully for the Lord there um, in the capital city of Niamey. And uh, so I'm going to ask John to talk a little bit about himself, his family, and um, how he got there. And uh, and just delighted to hear from you this morning. We've been here for about eight years now. I came as a single guy, and I met my wife here. That's a whole other story. <laughs> but yeah, so what originally brought me here is, so I was um, going to grad school in New Jersey. I had, um, as I was in college, the Lord was really working in my heart, and just the idea of unreached, uh, people that had never had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that just really touched my, touched my heart and uh, motivated me. Um, and then the idea of just uh, really uh, poverty, real poverty, was just another important um, idea that the Lord just kind of impressed on my heart. And so with those two things in mind, I was praying through um, Operation World. Um, it's just a, a handbook, you know, that kind of gives different prayer points for different countries in the world. And I remember specifically getting to chat and saying, oh, man, you know, I'm in, in the middle of the Sahara region there in, uh, in Africa. Um, majority Muslim country reached um, very poor and Chad just kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, touched me. And I started praying a lot more intentionally for Chad. Um, and then a couple months later, Nate Bramson uh, challenged my friend Justin and I to start praying for Niger. And I didn't get to Niger yet in Operation World, but as I flipped over, I realized, oh, it's a country right next door. Um, it has a higher percentage of Muslim um, and it's, uh, it's poor according to the, you know, the UN development scale. And so I was like, wow, I mean, I guess those are the two things that I would love to serve, <laughs> to, to love to work among. And so, um, yeah, after a, a long time of prayer, uh, we were kind of organizing prayer meetings for Niger, getting together and praying. Um, the Lord opened the door and my local church, uh, sent me out as a single guy. Um, and we came, Justin, uh, Nate and other guy Johnson. And so, 
And those men at all different places in, in different parts of their, your ministry have done some amazing and effective things there. Um, you got to tell us obviously about the part where you met your wife, April, and, and how God used your hearts both to serve him there. Oh, yeah. So actually my, uh, my wife, she was with a different organization, um, and she was working out in Doso, which is two hours east of us um, here in Yame. And so she, she got in, and we met at um, the missionary kids' school here um, that Sim does. They have a, a Sunday night English worship service. And so it's just encouraging, you know, being in a different uh, language setting, different culture setting, uh, just to be able to worship the Lord in your native tongue. And so anyway, I met April there, like, very soon after um, we got here. And from from the beginning, I, you know, I was hoping I would be able to marry her. <laughs> and from the beginning, she was not thinking that direction at all for me. So, um, And pretty much after a, a long time, about a year and a half of getting to know each other and uh, me being very interested in her and her not being at all interested in me, finally, <laughs> uh, the Lord changed her heart around and uh, we ended up getting married. So... <laughs> You know, you're not the first couple I've heard where it took them both being and serving somewhere way different from, you know, their home shores and, and their home environments to find their mate for life. Isn't that extraordinary? Oh, yeah, it's amazing. And it's actually uh, really funny because so I mentioned my friend Justin. We were, we were good friends growing up, and we came over to uh, Niger together um, as single guys. And then we both met our wives here, and they're both, they both happen to be named April, which is just kind of funny. And tell us about your three kiddos. Our oldest is four. His name is Boaz. He's really sweet. We love him. He's great. Um, our second is Andy. Um, he's almost two, uh, and he's really fun um, and really crazy. Um, I, I mentioned to, to you before we got we got here on a on a Thursday, and by Sunday uh, he decided to jump off the couch and break his foot, and so we um, had to go to the hospital, get a big cast on there. Uh, he was hobbling around on there for you know, um, for a couple of weeks and now he, he got that off and he's, he's doing better, but he's, uh, um, he's only two, but he kind of seems like our adventure child right now. So, um, yeah, well, hopefully the Lord should protect him as he gets older. And then we have a new baby. Um, his name's Caleb and he's five months old and he's a really sweet baby. Um, like every time you look at him, he just gives you a big smile. And so we're uh, really thankful for him. So three boys. And Niami is a is a big big place, teeming with life and people. And there's uh, people groups all around. The country itself is massive, but a lot of the population obviously is focused down in that corner, um, near the river and and near the life that's there. Uh, you know, when you got there, particularly as a single guy, but then later on, um, how did you go through um, the decision as to what was the effective vehicle for reaching the folks there and presenting the gospel of Christ and and beginning to build relationships and overcome cultural divides and language divides and background divides. How did you see God working in those early days um, to, to get you where you are now? Yeah. So the initial push was um, kids. And I think just, if you look at the country as a whole, it's one of the youngest countries in the world um, with, I think the average age, you know, it changes as they redo the statistics, but the average age is around 15 years old for the whole population, which is crazy. Um, and so there's just tons of kids here. When we got to Niamey, when Nate was kind of like looking where to where to start the work, a friend from a different ministry said, oh, uh, if you look at that one neighborhood, there's there's tons of kids there. And so we ended up kind of uh, basing out in, in this neighborhood, and we've been here ever since, and there's tons of kids. And so we're glad to be able to serve among uh, these precious kids that the Lord loves. And yeah, so the initial um, emphasis was on was on kids, and that's kind of what led us to this place. But just Niamey, um, it is kind of, it's the biggest city and it's the capital city. And it is kind of a melting pot for all these different uh, cultures, which is really beautiful. There's, um, Niger has all these different languages. There's Zarma, Hausa, Fulani, Gormanche. Um, there's Tamjek, Tubu, uh, all these different people groups. And the really cool thing is in, in the capital, you can interact with all these different people. And so I know people that are Fulani and Zarma and Hausa. And so when we got here, that was a, a big thing was uh, choosing what language we wanted to really invest in. Um, so if you look, Hausa is a really big regional language. And um, it, there's, there's Hausa speakers, you know, all the way down to up to Senegal and down to Cameroon. Like there's Hausa is all over. It's the second biggest 
uh, language in Africa, second to Swahili. And even they have the BBC in Hausa. So we were thinking, oh, should we jump into Hausa? Um, we ended up jumping into Zarma because that's the, the regional language here. Um, so right around the capital, um, I think there's about 3 million speakers in Niger. It's not a huge language, but it's the second biggest language in, in Niger. Obviously, it, it, the French is also prevailing there, as I understand it, correct? Right, right. So before, um, uh, before I got here, uh, we did three months in, in France. And that gave a kind of got our feet wet in, in the French language, and so I still started studying once, once we or continued studying while we got when we got back to Niger. But in the capital, it's interesting. There's always kind of this mix of languages. You know, you you can be talking to somebody, and it could be a French Zarma mixture, and then there, there's always a bunch of languages going around. So. And what were some of the tools that you found were effective in getting those children, gathering the kids? Uh, going out into the neighborhoods and and beginning to just reach out. Um, obviously, you look different, you sound different, you're 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 different in most every way. But what were some of the common factors that that you found and you find even now um, bring a group of kids together and and give you a chance to have an audience with them? Yeah. So since the beginning, um, well, about maybe six months or so after we got into the country, we started a kids club, and at that point, um, it was just out of our house, and so we open up our gates on, on a Saturday and just invited all the kids in the community to come in and we would have a, a fun program with them where we would sometimes have puppets, we'd do some games and we'd preach the gospel really clearly. The Lord really blessed that over the years and tons of kids would come. I think just it was so different uh, in this community um, where we would have music and it was focused on kids. There, so there's so many kids here um, and because a family will often have um, the emphasis is not on the kids, but the emphasis is going to be on the elderly, which is great. It's uh, like the Nigerians truly care about um, their parents in a great way. Um, oftentimes, the kids can be neglected um, socially, culturally, and that's somewhere where, yeah, I really uh, wish the culture would have changed and would care more about the kids. But actually, in some people groups, uh, there's some like traditions where the, the mothers aren't even really allowed to love their first child. And they want to show to other people that they don't love their first child. I heard a story. This was a, a Nigerian was telling a story about when he was a 10-year-old in the village. He, he realized that there was a problem when he saw a, a really young mother carrying her baby, her baby on, his, on her back. And an older woman said, oh, what, do you, do you, love, you love your baby? And right there, without saying a word, she just untied her, her thing and let the baby drop to the ground and walked away. And he said, as a 10-year-old, that really struck him like, wow, there's, there's something wrong if a new mother would do that to her couple-month-old baby just to show that she doesn't love her baby. So there's um, some interesting things with different, different cultures and different people groups. From my time there visiting, um, I noticed that sports, uh, being able to play games with the children is a very effective tool. So football or, or you know, the American term soccer, I'm sure – is something that draws an instant crowd. A ball comes out, you know, and all of a sudden that there's a there's a game going anywhere. There's a flat space. Yeah, so there's definitely uh, it's a it's a football country. You know, people love playing playing soccer, playing football. Um, so Justin for a while there had a had a team, and they were meeting together every every day and practicing. You would do some devotional uh, studies with them, and uh, it was encouraging. I think that just a it's a good means of being involved regularly in kids' lives, being able to have specific Bible studies with kids and also uh, just to, to live life together and to, uh, to show the difference that that's made because of Christ in our lives. I want to talk about um, the center because that was one of the most exciting things I've seen in such a long time. Obviously, you're bringing into a, a predominantly Muslim West African culture of Christianity and its tenets, and I know that um, probably time doesn't allow for just expanding on the obstacles and challenges and, and, and different things where there has been opposition to you working with the children and, and being a presence there. But one of the things that's undeniable is the Youth Development Center. How did that beautiful, big, three-story, amazing, multi-purpose space come to be, and how do you guys use that now? Uh, I mean, it, it came to be by... Uh, generosity of God's people, <laughs> um, by God's grace. Uh, that, that's it. You know I mean? Like he, um, provided a ton of money to, to build this place. Um, he provided, um, just 
a local vision for it and we, we can praise God for it. It's, it's really cool to see where it's at today and to, um, I guess more and more to see it being, being used well. And so one of the, I guess, um, me being there from the get go and, um, uh, you know, being able to see the land, being able to make a decision, okay, where should we get the land? Should we get this piece of property? Should we get this piece of property? And then kind of saying, well, this is a main, seems to be more of a main road. Let, let's shoot for this one instead of that one. And then, um, you know, years of praying that the Lord would bless it and use it uh, for his kingdom work. Uh, it's just really cool to see it go up and see it being used. And so um, now I guess what, four or five years later, um, having that being completed, it's been encouraging to look back and see what it's been used for, um, see some, you know, little direction changes, see some new things that we didn't plan for happening. And yeah, so we're thankful for, for where it's at today. And I, I have wonderful memories of sitting, particularly on the rooftop there, both in the early morning and then in the cooler part of the day, um, just being able to pray together as a team and, and look out over the, the neighboring village, cooking fires going and uh, kids playing nearby and animals out in the nearby fields. It really is an ideal spot to um, to maintain a presence. And you've built relationships with, with local neighbors there through getting them to to construct various items for the building and to look after the building. I mean, it's, it's such a, a powerful statement of what God can do in that community. Don't you think? Yeah. Well, yeah, I want to, we're um, thankful for us. I want to ask you, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into what the center is, is currently doing, but um, I know that you've had, and, and you do currently have uh, teammates that are there. Um, you've had teammates in the past who've transitioned to other places and other ministries. And, and um, oftentimes our life on the mission field is a revolving door. And we often um, have people around us for a time and then God moves them on to another aspect or another place. And I'm sure that's the same with you guys. But um, talk a little bit about the team that you have there and um, how you're able to, to carry out the Great Commission um, with a group of people. Yeah, so it's interesting how just the Lord has um, really changed a lot of things um, throughout the years. And as, like, as we started off, it was kind of four single guys, and then we all ended up finding our wives here, which was great. Actually, Nate didn't find his wife here, but he found his wife in this time when he was here, you know. Um, but it's just interesting to see how that developed. Uh, a, lot, a lot more team members internationally came. And there were some really awesome, sweet times there. Um, and it's interesting, now we're kind of, I feel like there's a new season in front of us where we kind of went from having a really big international team to now having a really small international team. Um, and there's challenges to that and blessings. And so right now our team is just our family um, and a single uh, European girl. And then we all also do work with another couple really closely from a different organization. Um, but right now, I guess our official team is just, me, April, and our um, European teammate. And so it's just interesting. Like, as we went from having a team of, like, 12, 15 people um, to, like, three, um, the the challenges, there's some big challenges to that where, you know, a lot of our programs were done by by expats. Um, and But I think the blessing of that is, well, now they can't be. So um, just, I guess, our role has shifted a little bit. Um, and I guess the the beautiful thing is God has really pushed us into partnership with um, a lot of a lot more local people, uh, which is really good and which is super beneficial for everything. Um, and given us some really cool partners uh, with different expats from different organizations, and uh, we're thankful for that too. So I guess just um, it's kind of a season of partnership in front of us, and I'm so thankful for that. When you leave your home and, and perhaps you walk, or perhaps if the roads are rough, you hop in your truck. And as you roll up to the center, um, I want to ask it this way. What are you likely to find going on in that building on a daily or a weekly basis? And what is it currently being used for? I'd, I'd love for you to explore the programs that are going on there at the Development Center. In August, there was a flood on, on the river. So the river overflowed its banks in Niame and in a lot of other uh, cities and villages. And the whole other side of the river. Uh, so we're on like the northern side of the river, on the southern side of the river. Um, a lot of communities were just destroyed. And, and so right on the river, there was a, there was a, a Bible school, a local seminary, and their, their whole school was like six feet underwater. 
And so they contacted us and said, hey, is there any way that you guys would have space for us to our seminary to meet at your facility? And so as we thought about it, we said, yeah, we do. We have space. And so right now, uh, they're there every morning um, doing Bible classes from 8 to 12. Yeah, it's really exciting and encouraging. Uh, there's about 23 students there. Um, and there's kind of an international African population there. Some are coming from Burkina Faso, uh, other surrounding countries. Uh, a lot of them are Nigerian. A lot are from different regions of Niger too. Um, and there, it's like a uh, like a theological master's program. And so it's really cool to just be able to interact with these uh, men and women who are studying the word to be able to go out and serve. And so yeah, we're super encouraged that they're there, and we're glad for them to be there. Um, and glad to work together with them too. So that's happened in the morning. Uh, on the second floor, uh, we have the the print center. And this is a new thing. Wasn't um, <laughs> this didn't come come about until 2019? But what that is is an on-demand printing press, and so we can print um, like a high-quality softcover book very inexpensively for you know I don't know like a 150-page softcover normal book that we would have. We if it's a if there's no right uh, copyrights that we have to pay, it would probably be around like a thousand, twelve hundred francs, which would be about two dollars and so the cool thing about that is we can get um, resources available uh, in local languages at a you know at a cost that's that's payable um, for for a local person and then also um, that's kind of being done as like a ministry business so I'd like we're, we're hoping that that will be self-sustaining where the you know, we can be able to sell books and then those books will go to you know uh, pay people that are working there and to pay for material cost for the books and then we we can also if we wanted to, you know, do a big print run that we we wanted to give out to people, we can do that too. That is one of the most exciting things I've heard of in a long time, and I know, even years ago, generations ago, a man in my church there in um, in Florida, um, that was one of the things they did in Central Africa was provide printing. Of course, in those days, it was big, big, clumsy, you know, machines and and prone to break down. But I'm sure the technology is different now, and the means is different, but. Your ability to put out in volume or in small volume um, books and helps and and tools um, for the gospel must be incredibly satisfying. Oh, it's it's really really cool. The Lord is blessing it, and every time somebody comes in and says, "Wow, like you printed this here," like yeah, you know, it's just so encouraging to hear that. And so there's kind of yeah, with that with the on demand thing, the the beautiful thing is we can print two copies or we can print out 500 copies, and the same it's the same price. And it's a, a low price, it's an affordable price, and we're thankful for that. Um, and there's kind of like two components to it that we're really thankful, and they're both working really well. And so um, with our other um, partner, he's kind of contacted these different publishers, one in Canada, one in England, and they've given us rights to print in French a lot of like really current good resources, um, a lot of stuff that you know we'd have in the States or in Europe. Um, and so we have probably about like 200, 250 titles that we we have the you know access to print. We have the files to print. We have to pay like a a royalty that they're working with us and making that uh, pretty inexpensive. Um, but yeah, like the crazy thing is, if you were to order a bunch of these books in Europe, they would be like you know 20 euros or something. And then by the time you ship them, get them here, pay for the shipping, pay for the uh, import tax and everything, it would just be an expensive book, you know. And um, we can print those books for like, you know, super cheap, like $10. Um, so it just kind of takes these really good resources and makes them available. Um, and every time, you know, we have somebody coming in and they say, wow, you can print this here. It's like, yeah, you know, it's it just, it's encouraging to see people's reaction and it's encouraging to see, see them be, being a blessing here. Um, so the one component is bringing in books that are already uh, published in other countries. Uh, but then the other component is locally you have, um, ministries here that people want to print their material. And so we just offer a service for uh, different churches and different Christian organizations. If they have a book that they would like to print, uh, we can print that for them. And um, so that's uh, that's been a blessing too. We've had a couple people print resources in, in Hausa. We have some people printing uh, literacy uh, courses in Kanuri or, um, or Hausa or these other languages. And so just it, it's able to be a blessing to um, kingdom work that's beyond just our organization or our group. So, did you ever think that you would be a West African Gutenberg? 
<laughs> uh, no. <laughs> so the printing press has, you know, has changed the world historically, and it's really cool to be to see how that's historically changing this country on the front end. So we're we're thankful for that. You mentioned the kids clubs, and and I'm assuming that that continues as part of a a constant um, there with your ministry and um, using hospitality and the, even the notion of a cup of cold water given in, in Jesus's name has its reward. And so I'm sure that that building is being used as well to reach the needs of local children. Um, I noticed in a, in a recent uh, update that you provided that you mentioned that literacy, particularly for women in Niger is a real issue. Um, take us through some of the challenges with that and, and how you're able to sort of compensate for that. Literacy is just an interesting education system here. So if you go to school from when you're a kid, um, you would, you know, French probably wouldn't be your your local heart language in your house. Uh, it would probably be Zarma or, house, or Hausa. And then you, you go to school and you're thrown into French school. And so it's really great. I mean, you, you get to learn another language as you're in school. But uh, if you don't start out school as a kid, uh, you miss that language learning, you know, prime time. And, uh, you know, education is, has not been the emphasis, particularly for women historically here. And so that's been changing. So I think with the new generation, there is a lot more education, but still there's, um, there's a lot of kids that just don't go to school. Um, and we're in the capital. And so it's, um, in other regions, it's even worse. But so I think the literacy rate among women is high 20s, so like 27%. Um, and that's one of the lowest in the world. And, so one of the reasons for that is um, much of the reading is done in French. And so if you didn't go to school throughout, you're not going to speak French. And, and to read French, is going to be really hard. And so, um, But there is uh, Zarma. There is written Zarma. You can, you can read it. A lot of people don't know it. And so one of the things that uh, my wife was doing was getting some women together and doing these literacy classes where she would teach people the letters, uh, teach people the sounds of the letters, and then have them be able to read in their heart language. Uh, so there's not a ton of material that's out there written in Zarma, uh, but the biggest one is the Bible. So there's a whole New Testament, Old Testament in Zarma. And so if somebody can read, they can read the Bible. And so that's kind of what we we're hoping for. And so there's been uh, kind of different groups have done different programs to help that. April is doing a, um, a literacy class with some of our neighbors. And some of the challenges with that is uh, women are, are busy. You know, uh, there's a lot of like household um, expectations for them to do. And so getting a good time to, uh, to meet together and to have a consistent time of study has been a challenge over the, over the years uh, with that. And so right now uh, we don't have any literacy things going, but we're hoping to see if we can start that again. Um, but yeah, just difficulty would be time uh, with all the other responsibilities that women have here. So it's just interesting, you know, uh, Cooking, <laughs> cooking is a lot harder in Africa, <laughs> as I guess you you probably know, Phil. But yeah, like there's not as many like you know frozen foods or fast foods you can just kind of throw in and have a meal ready. It's you know it takes a long time. And I noticed also um, that one of the things that you guys hope to start up and something we have found very effective. My wife does computer literacy, and her students are those we would call previously disadvantaged who, um, because of the limit of access to education and good schooling or um, through their own the, the the own racial prejudices of our past, and we're just not able to get a good education. But um, how are you looking forward to uh, to offering uh, basic computer training in the coming year? Yeah, so that is um, our European teammates hoping to head that up, and she came to visit, and she was serving alongside us for six months before, and that was something that people had asked her, like, "Hey, can can you train train us in computer?" Just like. Uh, how to use Microsoft Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, just some basic programs. And so when she was back in Europe, she got some training in how to train people in that and brought back a couple of laptops. And so um, she's excited to start that up soon. And just, yeah, there's, there's university students um, in, our, in our neighborhood, and they would love more training in that. Um, people have asked us so many times. So I think it's just going to be an awesome opportunity to give something that uh, offer something that people desire um, and also have gospel components to it. And a subject near to my heart, as we were discussing just before we began recording, and that is the use of music. Africans are a musical people. They love music. How have you seen using or offering music to, to really gather the interest and the love and the affection of the children and the folks nearby? 
So we've offered uh, music classes over the past, I don't know, three or four years. And so just tons of kids from the community will come in. Um, uh, I would teach guitar, drums, uh, and piano. Um, sometimes we throw in a djembe there. Um, but just the kids, usually ages like 10 to like 15 or so, uh, they were coming after school um, a couple of days a week, and they were loving it. And so uh, kind of our idea for that was we the songs that we would use to teach uh, were all Christian songs. And so as they were learning the guitar, they were learning basic chords. As soon as we could, we could get them um, playing songs and the songs they were learning were about Jesus. And so just an opportunity to uh, teach something that kids never had an opportunity to do and also to share the love of Christ with them. And uh, yeah, the, the difficulty with that would probably be organization because sometimes uh, for me, I'm kind of a, a softie. And so, you know, if, if there's a new kid or a kid brings his friend, I have a really hard time saying, oh man, no, you got to sit outside. So I'll, I'll oftentimes let in more kids than I should. And then it can kind of be a little disorganized, a little crazy. And then you have too many kids in there. Um, but it's been really cool. Kids have loved it. Um, since we've been back, um, we've only been back for a month now. Um, I've been kind of trying to organize a bunch of other things and haven't, haven't got to start my music classes yet. I've had a lot of kids asking me and I keep on saying, well, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start, we're going to, we're going to start soon. Um, but yeah, when, as I'm thinking about this new season of it, I, um, I'm trying to think through how to best, uh, work with, so there's some, some youth that have been, um, coming for music things and they're really talented and I'm trying to figure out the best way to, uh, have those youth help me with these music classes to make them a little bit more organized and to have, uh, maybe be able to teach some more kids than we were doing before. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool opportunity. Well, I think one of the, the quickest and easiest ways to include those newcomers or those curious ones is to have an ongoing choir. And every time a kid shows up, just mm. chuck them in there and, and be in the process of teaching a number of songs um, that they can easily join in. But, you know, the choir can be 50 or it can be 100 or, you know, whatever. But it definitely doesn't force you as much to keep backing up and reteaching, you know, fingerings or drumming techniques or, you know, um, chord patterns. I know that's one of the things with what I do is, as you as you say, it's hard to turn away someone because you're already a number of weeks into a, a curriculum or a program for teaching uh, music. And, and now a new kid comes and wants to join in, but you can't back up that many steps. I know that's a hardship. Well, I I want to ask you what what are some of the things that you wish you could tell others in other places about just how awesome um, Niger is and Niami is? What are the th- some of the things that, that you guys love to brag about where you are and, and what fun looks like for you and your your family and, and uh, coworkers there? What are some of those things that, that you just want to celebrate about Niger? Yeah, so there's, I mean, it's a beautiful country and there's beautiful people here. Um, just the, uh, the way that God, um, yeah, he's he's glorified in, in diversity, and it's just really cool uh, just to see the different languages, the, the different cultures. It's really encouraging. I think here being in the capital is kind of that melting pot. You get to see a, diff- a bunch of different uh, different ethnicities um, within Niger, and it's, it's awesome. Uh, I think the, the beautiful thing is, like, people are so welcoming, um, and so you can go, and it's very normal just to strike up a conversation with a, a person that you don't know. Um, people are welcoming to visitors just throughout the cultures here. Um, that's kind of a consistent thing is that they respect and love visitors, which is beautiful um, for, for me being a visitor, you know? Um, and so it's a, it's an awesome place. There's um, yeah. I love the people. <laughs> I think that would be the thing that I would want to brag about the, the cool people. It's interesting just the way that people think about time. I know this is probably more than Niger with like an Africa thing. Uh, time is thought about differently and in general relationships are more important than schedule and that you know, <laughs> that has its difficulties all the time you know like especially being from the west you think okay i gotta be here at a certain time i gotta do this um here um people are more important than schedule you, you know the negative side of that is people can be late to stuff but the positive side is because you know they were spending quality time with somebody that's important and so i guess i've grown and learning that uh, through my time being here and i hope that i still grow more and cherishing people more than uh, more than time in a sense more than schedule so i've heard someone refer to that as the chronological versus the event-based 
and once I heard that, it made mm-hmm. so much sense because, you know, I, I grew up in a similar world where everything was tied to on the hour, half hour, you know, very specific with time. And, you know, particularly in the African context, uh, it's, it's more about the people and more about when they show up. You honor them by waiting uh, until they get there so that you can begin. And it's, it's based on the event, not necessarily the time of day. I always thought that was an, an amazing thing. Um, what is a favorite food or something enjoyable that you guys, your, you and your family like to cook or prepare? What are some of the things that you um, enjoy that are different or maybe things that you can't get? Hmm. So one of the local foods that you do is called Farin Masa. <laughs> Farin Masa. It's like a, you know, pretty much like a local donut. So it's just like a deep fried ball of dough. Um, it's good. And so you can find different people in the community. Some some have like really good ones. Some are like you know, but yes, yeah, so we have our local uh, farin masa, and we like that. And then as far as for what we cook, we're we're pretty boring. Nick, so uh, we'll do uh, we we tip, like cook typical American style food. April is a great cook, and so uh, we'll have like chili or I don't know. Every once in a while, we might have a pizza or something. Eggs, you know. <laughs> We brought back some some bacon from the U.S. You can't really get bacon here, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember from my time there that turkey bacon was the nearest thing that you were able to uh, to approximate, and it always <laughs> made me sort of sad. Yeah, I'm sure. Do, by you, do you get a lot of bacon? Um, we do. This is very much a meat eating culture um, in this country, um, because of the colonization with the Dutch and the English, and obviously the indigenous folk. Um, they um, really do love um, uh, grilling, or we call brying meats of all kinds here and yeah i can get in real trouble if i don't discipline myself what are the, what are some of the questions for instance that you would love to be asked by let's just call them folks back home uh, the places where you grew up your supporters um, your faith environment um, what would be some of the questions that you wish people would ask you and april more about about life in niger and your ministry and family life there what are some of those things that was a, I was actually thinking about that and did come up with a great answer for it. <laughs> I was, um, it's interesting because I feel like, so one of the things that I've come to understand, I guess a little bit is depending on who you're talking to, um, sometimes like people just really don't have a context to even know what to ask. Um, and so I know when, uh, when I first got back, um, it was a little, I guess we, just because it's so different, sometimes you know, you have a friend and they, they don't really know what to ask. So sometimes the question is like, how's Africa? Um, and it's just interesting, like a question like, how's Africa? Um, that could, depending on what that person is asking, that is, it's a different question depending on the person. So some people will say like, man, like, tell me everything. Like, I want to know, like, what's the culture like? What's your daily life like? What is, you know, what does ministry look like? How, like, how are, how are the struggles in there? And then I think some people, because it's so different than their context of what's Africa is like, uh, if the, if the answer is good, or how's Africa good, then that's kind of a sufficient answer. I think that's okay because they don't really know what to ask. And I, I think the, the more you talk about it, the more people would know how, how to ask questions about, about it. So I, I don't even know if I really said anything right there to, to answer your question, Phil. Um, yeah. No, I think um, that's a good answer because we've even had um, people ask us if we knew a certain family, um, and the country they referenced was literally 2,000 plus miles away, you know, up near where you are. And here we are at the very bottom of the continent on the Indian Ocean. And I think there's just sometimes a, a naivety or a, a lack of understanding of the, the size of the continent or the diversity of it or the challenges of it. And, yeah, sometimes that's a little hard to, uh, a little hard to keep a, a Christian attitude about. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just an interesting um, – it's just so different, and I guess for it's weird because I guess the more the more different that I realize it is for people, and the more I realize realize that it's become normal for me, the more I realize that I'm just really weird, you know. <laughs> well, I think in a in a sense we all are, and they're all edges that we have to have refined by um, our field experience and the people that we have around us, and you know I think that's part of of our journey um, in being more like Christ. Um, I want to ask you what. What does your church fellowship, what, how is um, the ability to, to gather as a body of Christ, what does that look like for you, and how is it different maybe than the way you grew up? 
um, and maybe the non-traditional or un- unorthodox ways in which you you gather and are able to remember the Lord on a on a given weekend or during the week. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm really encouraged and excited about about the local church. It's still in the the formational stage stages, you know, um, and so it's it's still pretty informal in a lot of ways. Um, but as far um, it is, I guess traditional in the sense of like, well, we uh, we sing praise to God, we uh, we thank Him, we pray, and we hear from His Word. And so, in a sense, it's you know. It, it might look very different um, in some senses, but like the the traditional components of what uh, makes up the meeting of the church are are there, and we're we're thankful for that. Um, I think uh, what there, there's some new believers there, and so we, we uh, praise God. There was a baptism a couple weeks ago, um, and then probably about a a month or two before that, there was another baptism. And so I guess my my hope for that meeting is that. Um, one that these that these new believers are just going to be grounded in loving his his word um, and loving him, and then two that there will be more and more believers that are going to come. That this is going to become like a healthy local um, missional church. That's one of my uh, one of my desires as I think about this this group is that I would love um, for this church just to from the beginning have a, a missional DNA where they say, man, we we know that. Our life in Christ is not just about us, but it is for others and for us to go out. And I would love for our local church to send out missionaries. That's kind of my my hope and desire. And with that, you know, we want them to send out good missionaries that, uh, that teach the gospel clearly, uh, that um, that love the Lord and love his word and are, and are grounded in his word. So we're doing this um, Thursday night Bible study that I'm really excited about. Um, we're just kind of doing the big story of scripture. And so... Uh, one of our coworkers, he kind of designed this picture um, <laughs> timeline going throughout scripture. Um, and he uh, kind of organized the different uh, books so that you can see where the, the biblical books fall within this timeline and kind of giving dates on these things so that hopefully um, these newer believers are going to understand the big story of scripture, how, how these books fit into it, um, and then have a context for, you know, Oh yeah, if I go to Philemon, it's New Testament. Yeah, it's after Christ. That's Paul writing to um, writing to Philemon, and just to have have a broader context of how how the Scripture works, um, and so that they'll understand it and love it, and be able to read it and dig in themselves and learn. And that's kind of our hope for that. And in this day and age, particularly with access to technology, although I know that the internet and access to the internet and times of day are a real challenge there. Um, and it's just one of those things that you have to just sort of grit your teeth and smile and, and carry on. Um, and I really am grateful even for the early hour in which you got up to to have this conversation because the Internet's more stable in the morning. But um, how do things like movies or, or videos or, or other types of media, um, how do those work for you in a, in a, a culture where literacy is an issue? Yeah, it's, it's great. There's... Um... Uh, Bible recordings are super important and super, um, like, they're such a blessing. Actually, uh, last night we had a Bible study, and a guy, I don't even know where he got it, but he had one of those, I'm not sure if it was a Mega Voice or if it was another one of those solar-powered um, um, Bible players, and he had it, and I didn't even know he spoke Arabic, but he was listening to it in Arabic. <laughs> um, and so those are very helpful. Um, people... Uh, it's really encouraging for a new believer just to be able to, if they can't read or if reading is more difficult, just to be able to listen to the Bible. And praise God, it's available in uh, the New Testament anyways, audio Bible in um, the majority of the languages here. Um, video, uh, we have the King of Glory. Uh, we've shown that a ton of times. Um, we have that recorded in Zarma. We were actually able to record the voiceover in Zarma um, at our local studio. Um, so we've shown that. Tons of times, and that one just clearly goes to the Old Testament to the New Testament, points to Christ. Um, there's a Jesus film. Uh, we've shown that. There's a couple other films. And so what the, the outreach that we've done um, in films has been in Zarma. Um, we've, uh, over the years, have been able to go out to different villages and just do a projection. Um, those have been useful and encouraging, working with local churches for that. <clears throat> we haven't actually, let me think. So right now, there's kind of been some security issues in the country, and so uh, we're kind of locked down to the capital uh, for the past couple months. 
And so we haven't really been able to go out and show films or do any ministry in villages recently. Um, but again, with the kind of new partnerships that we have, um, it's encouraging and exciting. So even if a foreigner can't go out, local people are going to go out. And so we're excited to be able to encourage a lot more local ministry too. Isn't that amazing that the God's, God, uh, his work is not limited um, and that he'll use messengers um, that look and, and sound and, and act like the local culture to affect places that you and I would never, ever be able to get to. I, I absolutely love that about um, his work and the means of his work and discipling and equipping other men and women to, to reach their own in, a, in an effective way that um, we cannot. I, I, I'm just so grateful for um, the time that we've been able to be together. There's so many other questions I'd love to ask, but I know that people can reach out to you individually and find out more um, about what it is that, that you're doing and, and the amazing center, but just the focus on people, the focus on relationships. Um, and I want to just uh, close our time together. And again, I'm so grateful for your taking the early hour um, with your children about ready to rise and you're about to begin a new day um, to be with us here and just share what God is doing in Yami Niger. Now, I just want to ask, what, what sorts of things can we pray about as a listenership um, times of discouragement, times where you don't hear from family members. Um, give us some things that we can pray for and, and remember you for um, there. And then I'd ask you to close in, in the language of your choice. It's always a blessing at the end of these podcasts to hear a multiplicity of languages um, and, and, and all of whom God completely understands, which is a, a praise the Lord for that. But give us some things we can pray about concerning your work there and then close us um, in the language of your choice, uh, if you would, please. Sure. Um, so I guess the big prayer request would be, um, you know, that uh, the Lord gives give us wisdom. There's uh, sometimes with a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah, you just have to make decisions and uh, <clears throat> just pray that God will give us wisdom in making good decisions and how to do things the best way. I, we've made ton of, a ton of mistakes. <laughs> and uh, I'm so thankful that God is bigger than our mistakes and God uses our weakness. Uh, it's in our weakness that he shows the strength. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that um, he didn't pick the smartest people to serve him and he doesn't need the smartest people or the, you know, the, the best in the language or whatever. But um, so I guess just pray that he would use our weakness for his glory, uh, that he would use um, our, our empty hands, you know, and fill them up. Um, and so, Pray for wisdom as we move forward with different partnerships, with working with other people. Um, people are, you know, we're all messed up people, <laughs> and sometimes it's hard to work together. Um, and we're thankful for the bumps along the road, but pray that um, God would just help us to work together well. Um, pray that our church uh, would be missional. I guess that would be the big thing. Like, oh, man, like if this church would send a missionary, and not just send a missionary and be done, but like if it would be a missional sending church, that would, you know, oh, I would love that. Um, I just feel like that's what the Lord wants for his church. Um, pray for wisdom, managing programs. Um, another thing, uh, just pray for wisdom in um, helping out um, just with poverty. And so this can be a big tangent, um, but we want to be able to help people in a way um, that's truly helpful. And so Sometimes I, I just had a, a guy came to me yesterday. This was just on my heart. Um, and he is, he is a local believer. He loves the Lord. He, um, he's a faithful man. And he just came to me. And this is the first time that I feel like somebody was really, um, really honest about the difficulty of poverty. And he said, he's like, you know, I've asked for money for a lot. I've um, asked for money from you, from other people. And it's hard and, and I hate it. I hate coming to somebody and having to ask for money. And so I really just need a good job. And so I would say pray for my, my friend um, and pray for us as we think through ways that we can help. Um, pray for a good job for, for local believers, particularly this guy named Mamuni. Um, so that would be a big one too. And wisdom as we um, work through trying to help in the best way. You know, COVID for us particularly, it was so hard with people stopping at our door every day and trying to figure out who yeah. to help, how to help um, from your means, from your lack, from the end of the you know food cupboard to, to where you've got something that was always tough. There's no good manual for that. You know, there's no handbook um, yeah. on, on how to handle that. We had thieves come through. We had 
um, you know, people, shysters, um, you know, opportunists and stuff, particularly yep. during our hard lockdown, um, which we were in for many, right. many months. So that was a, that was a tough one. We try to be generous and wise, you know, how do those things work together? And so those are the guiding principles. I don't know. But it's, it's a balance and a dance. And you know what? Sometimes God keeps the score. And if, and if we are generous to someone we shouldn't have been, um, ultimately he knows our heart and, yeah. and he can replace whatever it is that we lost. Thievery, right. theft was a big deal, is a big deal here. Crime is huge here. And particularly during the days yeah. when the haves and the have nots could not be further apart, um, particularly where we are, you know, here we've got big, rich uh, retirement uh, communities with boats and Ferraris, you know, within eyeshot of zinc shacks and pigs and goats and, and all that kind of stuff. So it, the disparity obviously wow. brings with it some fairly significant challenges, you know, here and even our own town. So I, I totally get that. Well, why don't you close us then in prayer? Um, and again, just use the language that um, God has put on your heart to close us with, and, and I'll appreciate that. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas and even future interview subjects about this podcast. If you want to reach out or reach out to those that you heard today, drop me a note at phil.golson at gmail.com. We have a U.S.-based nonprofit called Grace Garden Root Arts Communication and Education set up for donations of financial gifts or items like instruments, uniforms, or even computer equipment for our lab that's administered by Kristen. For more information on Grace, go to www.thewordgrace, followed by K-N-Y-S-N-A dot O-R-G. It's www.gracenisna.org. Also, if you want to read about our team here and the missions model that we use for church planting, discipleship, seminary training, redemptive relationship building through life skills, education, and counseling, go to www.nisnahope.org. That's K-N-Y-S-N-A hope.org. And that's for more information. What on earth are you doing, for heaven's sake? We'll see you next time.